This morning we're going to continue on in this series that we started, trying to find more joy in life, right? More joy, trying to figure out ways to turn our frowns upside down as we go through these uncertain times, as we go through some things that we've never experienced in our lifetime, as we go through some things that have kind of thrown everything up in the air. And I want to do that today because we are defeated at times, aren't we? We do, go do through, we do go through some times where, where nothing goes according to plan, where we've given our all and it just doesn't work. In fact, if you were to define defeat, I think a good definition is probably this. If given your all, it just wasn't good enough. You give your all to your marriage, I mean, you worked at it as much as you could. It just wasn't enough. And now you're looking at divorce and all that that means. You stood before everybody and said, ah, we're going to be married for forever to death do his part. But all your efforts, they just weren't good enough. And you're looking at a, a major defeat. You gave your all to your kids. I mean, you poured into them, especially over this last year where you've had all this time to hang out with them, or at least more time than normal. They're not all out with their friends all the time. But you're still not connecting with them, and you don't know what else to try. You gave your all to your job, but in years perhaps. The economy kind of went wonky during this pandemic. You lost your job, and you've been looking now for months, trying to find something to replace the income that you had. It hasn't been working. And because we live in such, I'll give you this last one. How about this? Some of you put your all into this last election, and this particular candidate. And at least half of you have been disappointed by the outcome. And because we live in such a divided country right now, because all the rhetoric seems to be so heightened and borderline crazy, you're fearful about what that means. Just like the other side perhaps was fearful the other four years, right? But you're freaking out not knowing what's going to come next and you feel a sense of defeat. But I tell you, whether it's the little ones or the big ones, I'll give you a little one. The guy was talking to him before service. They just got back from Vegas. I guess it was a pretty defeating time in Vegas, right? So whether it's the little ones or the big ones that we just talked about, I want you to know that Jesus Christ has the answer to all of your defeats this morning. In fact, he says this in, in John 16, He says, in this world you'll have trouble, but cheer up. I have defeated the world. You know, I, I know I've been on this reality thing the last several weeks, especially in Bible study perhaps, but, you know, so often that we, we use the term, well, you know, reality says this, and we look around the world and we assume that that's reality, but is it really? When you watch the news, is that reality today? It's like reality TV maybe, but it's not reality, it's not truth. So you sit in classes across the nation, are you so often learning reality or man's best guess without God? We keep calling things reality, things that we've experienced or heard or touched, but you know what true reality is? It's God's word. He knows how the world was created because he created it. He knows what we need exactly because he created us. He created all truth. And so when you read something like this, in this trouble you'll have, or in this world you'll have trouble, amen to that. We all know that's true. But sure, I have defeated the world. Do you hear that with just the same amount of certainty and reality is the first part? Because when you look at this verse, it says in this world you're going to have trouble. So reality check, number one, you're going to have a lot of defeats in this life. You just are. And Jesus is honest with us 
right from the beginning about all of this. You're going to have trouble in this world. You're going to have disappointments in this world. You're going to have sorrow in this world. You're going to have mistakes in this world. You're going to have defeats. And if we could take a step back, we say, well, of course we are. We live in a, a broken, fallen world where sin has just ravaged it, especially perhaps today. Trouble's going to be part of our lives. We know that that's true. And it's true for a lot of reasons. It's true because we make all sorts of choices and we do the wrong things and that complicates our life. And then there's other people that make all sorts of wrong choices and bad decisions and that complicates our life. And then we got Satan who hates us continue to mess with our lives because he's just a jerk and he wants to bring about your destruction. And then we got all the things that don't work out according to plan, at least our plans. There's all sorts of reasons why we face all sorts of defeats in this world today. And Jesus said all those things are going to happen. But, he says, that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is cheer up. I have defeated the world. In other words, all these things, these bad things are going to happen to us in this world do not have to be the defining things of your life. They don't have to have the last word in your heart. In fact, Jesus raises his hand. He says, I, I want to have the last word in your heart. He says this, I want to do some things in your heart that are above and beyond anything that is this world can or will or wants to do to you. So to do that today, I want to take a look at how Jesus can help us overcome the world. In fact, when Jesus was talking about having us live a different kind of life. He's calling us to live a kind of life where the defeats that we experience don't define us any longer, but that we find the strength to overcome one situation after another situation after another situation after another, and we sit back and we revel in what God has allowed us to do and experience. God says, I have come to overcome the world. Sounds awesome, right? So how is it possible God gives us a couple things this morning that he, he wants to breathe into our life. Actually, he wants us to do these things. The so two huge action steps today and how to overcome some of the defeats in your life. And the first one that he gives us is just simply this. Don't let your defeats define you. Seems like a pretty simple thing, right? But why is this so important? Because it's so easy to do, isn't it? It's so easy to begin to feel bad about yourself and let the defeats of life begin to define us, to begin to affect our way of thinking, to begin to affect our emotions, and then the things that we're doing in life. And you know one of the easiest ways to determine if you're letting your defeats define you? It's kind of a funny thing, but look at how you talk to yourself, right? I told you it was kind of funny. But when you look at that and you think about that just for a second, are you an encourager or a discourager to yourself? I ask that because sometimes some of the ugliest words that ever come out of our mouth come out when we're talking to ourselves. It's hopeless. I can't believe I did that again. I'm such an idiot. I'm such a failure. And on and on the list goes as we mumble those things under our breasts. But when we're saying those things about ourselves all the time, it's an indication that you're letting the defeats of life begin to affect you to define you. The thing is, if you keep that going, it is absolutely going to affect the way you see yourself. I know some of you are thinking, no, 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 Pastor, that's the way I motivate myself. I tell myself what an idiot I am because that motivates me to do, you know, great things. And so I'll just ask you, so how is that going for you? I mean, how's it working? Is it really motivational? I mean, if you just take a step back, it doesn't help you look at life any better, does it? 
doesn't bring you joy. It doesn't make you feel better about the way things are going, does it? In fact, it usually just makes you feel irritated, to be honest, even angry, not only at life, but at yourself, but also about the other people around you. In fact, I'd go so far to say that in general, it doesn't work very well at all. But it is an indication that you're letting the defeats of life begin to affect the way that you see yourself. Another indicator, too, is when we start to hide kind of out from the world, right? When you start to say, I'm going to sit back here apart from life for a little bit and to be honest with all the stuff that's gone on with COVID and the election and everything else, the economy, I know a lot of people that have just kind of checked out for a period of time. They feel defeated. We, get to, we feel defeated, and we sort of celebrate that by throwing a party, a pity party, though. We celebrate it with all the gusto we got, telling ourselves why we're incompetent, why we'll never amount to anything, why everything's hopeless. Not very much fun kind of parties to go to, horrible parties to go to, and they never, ever help. But we sure know a lot of people like to host them, don't we? Now, the reality is I have no idea how you're feeling this morning. I, I really don't, but I do know this. I do know what God has to say about you. So irregardless of how you happen to feel at the moment, right now, as you're sitting there, God has this really important thing to say to you. And he says it in Romans 8, verse 37. And he shares it after a long list of things that kind of make us feel defeated in life. And he says, no, stop letting those things get to you. No, he says, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who love us. Kind of hard to hear that second part, isn't it, when you're overwhelmed with the first. But they're both true. And did you get that as I was reading through it? It says that God loves you. He loves you more than you can possibly comprehend. And because he loves us, he says, guys, stop letting your defeats define you. Instead, let the things that I've shared about you, the promises that I made about you, the things that I say about you, let those realities define who you are. Stop letting the world have too much say. So he says, my child, you don't need to be defined by your defeats anymore. And if you grasp hold of that, it can be truly a defining moment of your life because it allows you to be defined, maybe for the first time for some of you, defined by who God says you are and not the world. Not your brother or sister, not your parents, not your relationships, not your job, not your circumstances, but to build it finally on who God says you are. Now, what does God say about you exactly? It's probably a pretty important thing to distinguish at this point. So let's take a look. In Ephesians 1.4, he says this, Long before he laid down the earth's foundations, he had us in mind. And he had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy in his love. So Paul's just sharing this mind-blowing truth right here. He's just saying this, that you are the focus of God's love. Way before the world was even created, God defined, decided that he was going to set everything up where you were the focus of his love moving forward. That's who God says you are. What else does he say about you? God says that you are of immeasurable worth to me. You are my son. You are my daughter, he says. You are the measure of all worth to me. If you're a parent, think about the first time you held your child. I still am blown away by that. I never, you know, was around kids much, you know, for a long time. I was kind of consumed with other things. But all of a sudden, we had a baby, and I was holding it in my arms, and I couldn't believe how much I loved this little child that I was holding in my hand. One of the first kids I'd ever held in my hands like that, except for a baptism. I couldn't believe how much I loved it, how much it was changing my life. In an instant, everything was different. Time is that by a bajillion, and you get a sense of how much God loves you. 
Again, after a long list of things, he says, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. Guys, you have no understanding, no idea of how much God loves you in this life. And so whether you're employed or not employed, whether you're financially well off or not well off, whether you're single or married, whether you got good grades or not, whether you're sick or healthy or you're feeling valued or not, whether you're feeling in a trap of the world or feeling defeated by the world, God says in every circumstance, I love you. I've got you. We're going to be okay. I'm going to get you through it until you're with me forever. So God's just saying, I love you. Again, you have no idea how valuable you are to me. And that's the truth. And that's what God tells us in his word. That's how special we are to him. And that's why Jesus came into the world, wasn't it? We'd sort of lost hope along the way. And God says, I want to remind you. I want to show you in no uncertain terms how valuable you are to me. You deserve to die, but I'm sending my son to save you, to die in your place so that you can have victory, so that you can be with me. So he says, don't let your defeats define you. And he goes on to the second thing we can do. Action step number two. Choose to let your defeats transform you. There's a famous verse in the Bible about God's transforming power in our hearts. In Romans 12, 2, it says this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. So how does that apply to our defeats? Well, God starts reminding us again of all the problems we're going to face in this world. He just does. All of us. Every one of us. And God knows and understands this. And what his goal is, what his desire is, is to walk through every single one of them with us and to comfort us. But it's more than that. He's willing also then to use the problems and the evils that befall us, that come upon us in this life, that you and I inevitably are going to go through. And he wants to use those problems to transform us, to grow us into the person that he wants us to be. Now, that doesn't make the problems good. It doesn't make them his will. I, in fact, if you ever hear somebody say, well, it must be God's will about something evil, you know they're saying it wrong. That's, they're attributing evil to God, and God is not the author of evil. There's all sorts of stuff that happens in this world that's just evil, that it's not God's will, that God hates. It doesn't make any of those things right. But it should show you just how amazing our God is, that he can take even that evil, even those destructive, horrible things, and somehow, some way, use them and work them into something that is good in our life. Kind of like using the manure pile for fertilizer for something good. And if you can take the problem and use it for a life, again, he does so because he loves us. Not only does God say that he will do this, he also shows us how he does it. So today I'm going to kind of give you it and work through it for the rest of the sermon, I'm going to work through kind of a godly formula that God uses, a godly equation that he uses to sort of show us how he transforms us through all the difficulties of life. And I'm going to do it sort of backwards forward. So I'm going to share with you kind of the conclusion or what's on the other side of the equal sign, and then we're going to talk about how he does it. So I'm going to start with the back side. So first of all, here's the result that God's working for. This is what God wants to happen in our lives instead of defeat. It says this in Scripture. He wants joy in our life. How many of you guys want joy? Everybody should have their hands up. Everybody wants joy. That's what God wants to work in our lives he doesn't want us to live lives of defeat anymore, but lives of incredible joy. That's what he's working for in our lives. He wants us to experience joy, pure joy. And that, if you remember, is what the Christmas story was all about, wasn't it? In Luke 2.10, it says, The angels said to them, the shepherds that were out in the fields on the first Christmas, said, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Okay, so God wants you to have joy. That's what he's working for in your life. 
But how do you get there? How does that happen? Well, let's move one step back in the equation. God says, here's how it works. I'm working for joy, but in the equation, one step back, dealing with the fact that you face real problems and real circumstances and real hardships in this life, there has to be an exchange for you to have joy. An exchange has to happen in order for you to experience joy in this life, and that's how he does it. Now, God's exchange program sort of works this way. You give to him the stuff that you don't want, and he gives back to you in response stuff that you've always wanted. And maybe as you reflect upon it, stuff that you never thought you'd ever deserve. So God takes the bad and he gives you incredible good. In John 16, 20, sort of gives an example of that. He says, you will be sorrowful, but Jesus said, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. What an incredible exchange. And Isaiah 61, 3 says, he will give beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of despair. Again, what an awesome exchange. We bring these things like sorrow and mourning to our God, and God gives us beauty and joy instead. That's God's exchange program. So God says in this world, you're going to face some defeat, you're going to face some hardships, you're going to face some problems, you're going to face some difficulties. Sometimes life is just hard. But I'll take even those things if you give them to me, and I'll exchange it for something that is far, far greater in response. I'll do an exchange. But even more amazing than these things is that God's exchange is not just for the things that are around us, but God's exchange program also offers things for the inside of us as well. So it's not just for the troubles that are out there, it's also for the troubles inside of you too, the sin, the ugliness that you see inside of you, the difficulty, the fear, the worry. God says, I've got an exchange program for that too. And you start thinking about all the things that we could exchange in life, this is probably the greatest part, isn't it? In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, that God took the sinless Christ and he poured it into him, and he poured into him our sins. That's what happened at the cross. That's what the cross was all about. Jesus died there. He died for our sins. He was taking the punishment that we deserved to face that would have absolutely destroyed us. And he took it in our stead so that we could be forgiven and find life in him. God poured into Christ all of our sins, all of that destruction, all of that punishment. And what did we get into exchange? Scripture tells us that too. In exchange, he poured God's forgiveness into us and his hope into us and his peace into us and his strength into us. That's God's awesome, incredible exchange program. Okay, now remember he's working for joy. Now, sometimes you start thinking about that and say, Pastor, I don't know. I get that he has to, he's making this incredible exchange program, but for, for me, it's just not happening. I mean, I don't experience it in my life, this joy that you're talking about. And that's because we're missing so often the very first part of this equation, and that's this. It starts with change. And I don't mean change in your pocket. To be more specific, I'm talking about change in us that helps us make the exchange with God so that he can bring joy into our life because that's the equation. Change plus exchange equals joy. Jesus said this in Mark 1.15. He says, the right time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Change your hearts and lives and believe the good news. What does that kind of change look like? I was thinking about that this week and I thought I'd just put it down into verse, or not to verse, but into a prayer. And it goes like this. God, I'm so tired of trying to make this work on my own. I'm tired of trying to get close to you at my own energy and power. I spend time in your word, Lord, but I'm I just not feeling it. I pray to you, Lord, but I'm just I'm not sensing it. 
So God, I'm going to change my heart. <laughs> to be honest, I already know you're working on my heart. You've been working on it for a long time, so maybe it's better to say, God, I'm going to stop resisting you. Please come in. And with all my strength, I'm going to trust you. Trust you to forgive me. Trust you to strengthen me. Trust you to be there. Because to be honest, all of this trying to build joy into my life, trying to make everything work out just right, being obsessed over trying to control everything so that I can finally make my life and do what I want to make it, it's just not working. Truth is, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by my sin, by my past, by my problems. I recognize that I need something more. I know I need something more. So I'm going to trust you to bring back the joy in my life. Even through the troubles and the difficulties that I now find myself in, even through the troubles and difficulties I know are still to come, because I believe, no, now I trust that you've got me, that I'm forgiven, that you still are working things for the good in my life, even when I cannot see it. And even though I know I will walk through some very difficult times in the days ahead, I know, you know, I, I trust that you'll still be with me. We've got to at some point change from trying to do everything by ourselves, trying to live life without the God that we say that we believe. And we've got to change and start running to him to fill us up, to strengthen us, to remind us that he's got us, to give us hope and forgiveness and strength, to help us believe in miracles again, to help us trust the victory that he's talked about, to stop pretending the stuff that we're seeing is reality, but to trust him who's got us and who's loved us from the very beginning. See, when I talk about this kind of change, we're talking about changing the hearts in our lives so that we can believe not the bad news, but the good news. Romans 2, 4, it says this, don't you realize it's God's kindness that's trying to lead you to him and to change the way that you think and act? God is using the circumstances in our lives to lead us to him, not, be, not to ruin our lives, but to give us incredible joy, the joy that he has for our lives. So here's how it all adds up. We make a change of heart. To be honest, God makes the change. We just stop saying no. And we begin to start trusting God for all the things that he's called us to trust him in, trusting that he's there every step of the way. And then once he's made that change of heart in us, it frees my heart to start bringing to him all the things that I need to exchange, the sin and the worry and the fear and all the garbage in our life. And when we begin to make that exchange, here's God's promise. He will slowly but surely begin to work more and more and more joy, genuine joy into our lives. And that's the joy to the world that we celebrated at Christmas, right? And it's absolutely the joy to the world that God wants to work in your hearts today. Guys, I just want to say this. As we walk through this very crazy time, God's got you. He loves you more than you can comprehend. And even though sometimes it doesn't look like he, he is, he's working somehow, some way, in the midst of all the evil, he's working things for the good of those who love him. So you can rejoice. You can rejoice in the victory beforehand. You can live your lives in a spirit of expectation and celebration because of what God has done, what he is doing, and what he will continue to do in the future. And one day we'll celebrate sitting in heaven, looking back at our lives, 
And we'll thank him for all the things that he's done. Because we'll finally see that even in the times when it looked the darkest, he was always working because he loves us. And that I give you today is hope in the midst of a very weird time. And we pray in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Let me pray. God, we love you so much. And you know, as we walk through this weird time, Lord, it's, it's hard to keep our focus on you. We get so caught up by the news. We get so caught up by health issues. We get so caught up by economics. We get so caught up by relational weirdness. We get so caught up by everything, Lord, that we forget that you're there in the midst of it. We forget that you're not the author of evil, but that you are the author of good. Father, help us trust in the reality that you love us. Help us trust in the reality that you're there for us. Help us trust in the reality of our forgiveness. Help us trust in the reality that you are always working good for those who love you. And let that reality that you give us, give us strength and peace and hope and joy. We pray that in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.